Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Here at Evanston Bible Fellowship, you just heard the way we describe ourselves. We describe ourselves as a community of sojourners. And you know, if we've been here for any length of time, we've come to accept this sojourning part of our family life as a reality. Evanston is a transient place, and it really is a beautiful spiritual picture for us all as we're on a journey to heaven to be with Jesus, to enjoy him and worship him forever. As many of you read in an email from the elders this past Wednesday, the 13-year sojourn here at Evanston Bible Fellowship is coming to an end for me, for Layla, and our girls. Um, I've accepted a position at a church in the western suburbs that is on mission to reach Kane County for the love of Jesus. Speaking on behalf of the Bechtel family, we love you, we will miss you. This has been our home. We've raised our daughters with you. It's been an honor to serve Jesus with you. A joy to see you serve him so well and a blessing to be served by you. And for me, wanting to, to, to serve through the end of the, the uh, affirmation process, pro- process for a new leader, my, my last day will be June 16th. I want to say with full confidence that I believe great days are ahead for this church. I believe this because we serve a good and great God. And I believe he wants a gospel outpost here in Evanston. And he will empower this place and he will empower you to continue for this city and for his name's sake. I believe this because you are being led by a group of godly, wise, and humble men who love Jesus and love this church. And they continue to pour out their lives for you. And I believe this because you are being served by a group of gifted, loving, and tenacious staff who keep this church going and going and going. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you. I love you. I count these 13 years with you as an honor and this one last chance to preach to you on this Easter Sunday, a great, great privilege. Will you pray with me? Father God, I am desperate for you right now. We are desperate for you. In your word in Romans 8, you say that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. We need him desperately. May your spirit open our eyes to the wonders of your word on this most wondrous of days. This is not another day. It is because of this day that all days are possible. Do that, we pray. Do that here and do that in the world. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka who came to celebrate your resurrection and were bombed in their churches and at celebration meals. Father, remind those who are victims who have lost loved ones that it is because of this day they have hope that they will be reunited with the ones that they love and with you, the one who loved them first. So Father, be with us now as we open your word and we consider what this resurrection day means. May the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. O God, our Savior, our Redeemer, and because of that, our friend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a confession to make. Um, A lot of people don't know this. I asked my seventh grader how to describe it, and she said it's on the down low. Uh, I'm I'm a big art fan. I don't know if many of you know that. Probably my favorite piece is Rembrandt, the philosopher. Um, Sometime you can look that up. I'd love to talk to you about that. It's an amazing piece and has so much imagery in it uh, that I find fascinating. I'm also a big fan of Impressionism, and on the the rare occasion that I make it down to the uh, Art Institute, I find myself lingering at at some of the Monet paintings, but not the ones you would think of. I I find myself lingering at a, a series he did called Haystacks. Does anybody... Know, those, know that piece? For 18 months, this great painter took the simplest of forms and explored how the time of day and the weather and the seasons affected the look and the, and the feel of a, a pile of hay. He painted it over and over and over again. Ended up with 30 paintings of haystacks. He was trying to capture the essence of a haystack from every angle combined with every variable. You've got to admire the tenacity of this guy, the commitment he had. 18 months of his life was dedicated to capturing the subtle nuances of a pile of hay. Well, if we move from the mundane in a pile of hay and we we move to the sacred, the good Dr. Luke employs a very similar technique to describe this most climactic day in human history. You see, Dr. Luke wants us to get the profound weight and glory of this day and in all of its nuances. He wants us to experience the emotional impact and the eternal truths on this most precious of days. It's too big to convey in one telling, so what does he do? He presents us with three vignettes, three stories, three impressions in an attempt to convey everything that is going on. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 24, Please turn there on your devices if you have that. We've heard the entire uh, chapter 1 through 49 read up to this point. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine together the impression Dr. Luke wants to leave us on this Resurrection Sunday. But before we start, let's, let's remember the immediate context. For the past three years, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, has set the nation of Israel on fire. He has healed the sick. He's caused the lame to walk. He's fed thousands. He's cast out demons. He's controlled the weather. He's even raised the dead. And along with these amazing feats, he made equally audacious claims about himself. He said he was here to usher in a new kingdom, that he was the son of God that he could provide forgiveness of sins, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that he was the only way to God, and that he would rise from the dead. It was this Jesus with three years of of feats and claims behind him who, who arrived triumphantly in Jerusalem just over a week ago. He was Messiah. He would deliver his people. It was time for the greatest act of justice and righteousness in human history. And then, 
In one 24-hour period, Jesus was arrested, tried, hung on a cross, died, and was buried. Don't lose the backdrop because this is the backdrop for Resurrection Day that we're about to enter into. And if we look at Resurrection Day, we're going to see these three vignettes, these three stories. The first one we're going to see is in, in verses 1 through 12 in chapter 24. And we're going to find a group of distraught women going to the grave of Jesus one more time to honor and care for their fallen rabbi. In verses 13 to 28... We are going to see travelers along the road, two defeated followers of Jesus with their hopes dashed, who were going back home. And then verse 36 to 49, we're going to find a group of dissolution followers of Jesus gathered together to comfort one another and try and make sense of it all. And again, it's with this, this backdrop of bitter confusion and disillusionment that Luke is going to use these three resurrection stories to clarify and communicate over and over and over what he sees as important in this day. And what does he see as important in this, in this day? It's this. The resurrection day conveys one glorious fact. And this fact is meant to confront us. And this fact is a call to action for us all. Luke is so intent to help us understand this fact and adopt these actions, he's given us three opportunities to get it. So let's jump in. And again, I hope you have Luke chapter 24 in front of you. We're going to be jumping all over, looking at these three vignettes in order. So get ready, and uh, we'll be jumping around. So Resurrection Day conveys one glorious fact. And the fact is simple, and it's something we've celebrated, and we all know the answer. The fact of Resurrection Day is Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. If you've grown up in the church, you know that. But let me say it again. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Look how Luke wants us to understand this. Look at verse 1 through 6. But at the first day of the week, at early dawn... They, the women who were following Jesus, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. They did not find the body. He is not here, but he has risen. Now jump down to the road with the travelers and look at verse 13 to 15. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus drew near to them and went with them. Later on, 
the road with the travelers. You'd look down at verse 30. They had stopped. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and he gave it to them. Now jump down to the gathering in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed, they still uh, believe, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Without question, Luke wants one thing perfectly clear Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty. Jesus walked with people. He talked with people. He served people. He touched people. He was touched by people. He ate with people. Jesus is alive. He was crucified, yes. He was dead, yes. He was buried, yes. But he was raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. On this one fact rests our entire faith. Luke shows us this fact Paul, along with the rest of the New Testament, stands on this fact. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. The resurrection fact is that Jesus is alive. Don't lose sight of that reality. Don't let that become commonplace. Don't forget the fact that Jesus is alive. But there's more to this fact that Luke wants us to understand. You see, Jesus is alive, but it was according to a plan and for a purpose. The fact is, Resurrection Day is about Jesus being alive according to a plan and for a purpose. You see, Luke just doesn't want to confront us with an empty tomb or, or the physical presence of Jesus. He wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus is alive because of a God-devised plan and a God-sized purpose. So looking back at the text, let's look at, these, let's look at these people who are despairing, but look at how Jesus instructs them or the angels instruct them on this day. At the tomb, look at verses 6 and 7. The angels say, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise. And on the road, look at verse 25 to 27. Jesus speaking to them said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
And finally, at the gathering, if you look at verse 44 to 47, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Again, Luke wants us to be clear on this fact. Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection were part of God's plan. In fact, all of Scripture points to Jesus and God's plan for him and through him. All throughout the Old Testament, there are symbols and types and of Jesus, there are prophecies about Jesus, there are titles and positions and themes that point us to the person and work of Jesus. The ram substituted for Isaac in Genesis, the Passover lamb in Exodus, the scapegoat in Leviticus, the suffering servant in Isaiah, the entire sacrificial system under the law. These are just a few examples. in the Old Testament that point to Jesus and the plan that he must suffer, die, and rise again. Make no mistake, the plan and purpose of the cross and the resurrection are found all over the Bible. There is no part of Scripture that does not bear witness to the Lord Jesus. Luke wants us to understand that this was according to plan that Jesus would rise. But he also wants us to understand the purpose of that plan. Look again at verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. See, the plan was not just to have Jesus come back from the dead. The purpose of the plan was salvation for the entire world. Forgiveness a way out of our sin, a way out of death, and a way back to God. This is a message for the whole world. All the apostles affirm this message, that the purpose for Jesus' death and resurrection was to provide salvation through forgiveness, a way back to God. Peter echoes this in in Acts 2, when he's speaking to the crowd at Pentecost. He says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or Peter in Acts 10, after having a vision and being challenged that salvation was actually a gift for the whole world, he says this to him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Paul, in Colossians 1.27, speaking of God the Father, echoes this idea. He says, He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. That is the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. And all of Scripture points to Jesus in some way. Luke wants us to get this fact on Resurrection Day. The plan was for Jesus to offer himself up as a once-for-all sacrifice. The purpose of the plan was to provide forgiveness, a way forward for all who believe. It's a fact. Jesus is alive according to a plan. 
and for a purpose, to save us from our sins. But Luke isn't just happy about conveying this, these truths. He, he wants to confront us, and he has a call for all of us. He wants us to feel this confrontation. So let's look at this confrontation real quick through these three vignettes again. Look at the tomb. Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus himself gets, gets more uh, uh, personal with the, the two travelers. And he said to them in verse 25, he says, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then at the gathering, if you look at verse 36, as they talked about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw her spirit. And then look at verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? I think those are questions that we can all be confronted with every day in our walk with Jesus. You see, the woman at the tomb were, were earnestly seeking their Lord, but, but they were looking in the wrong place. The travelers on the road, they had given up and forgotten all that the scriptures had to say to them about Jesus. And the gathered disciples were afraid. And they could not comprehend the fact that Jesus was alive and standing there right in front of them, that Jesus was with them. I hope you can feel this confrontation of Resurrection Day. The angels confronted the men for, for the women for not remembering the words of Jesus. They had forgotten. Jesus confronts the travelers for not believing the testimony of the Bible and all it had to say about him. They had forgotten the message of Scripture. And Jesus confronts the gathered disciples for their fear and not believing that he was alive in spite of the fact that he was standing right in front of them. Luke wants to make sure his readers are confronted with the facts of Resurrection Day. Jesus is alive according to a plan, for a purpose. We must remember. We must believe. But Luke also wants us to see that we must act. This confrontation, in a sense, really is a call to act. So let's look at the response of these folks once they understand the reality of an empty tomb and experience the living Jesus and understand what it meant from God's word and they were confronted regarding their unbelief. Notice the first response. At the tomb, look at verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. 
Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. On the road, look at verse 30 and 30, 31 and 32, excuse me, 31 and 32. And their eyes were open, and they, did, they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And at the gathering, when he said, at the gathering, verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said, do you have anything, anything here to eat? You see, when we see Resurrection Sunday for what it is, a day that commemorates the truth that Jesus is alive and that everything he did was in accordance to the scriptures and that he accomplished the work to save the world, you cannot help but worship. Awe, marvel, burning hearts, all directed towards the person and the work of Jesus. When confronted with the facts of Resurrection Day, people responded with awe in wonder, they worship Jesus. Isn't that why we're here this morning? Isn't that why we're gathered? To, mar to, to marvel? To wonder? With awe and disbelieving joy? But worship is not the end of the story. Not yet. Someday it will, but not yet. There's more that Jesus is calling us to at Resurrection Day. And Luke wants to make sure we get it. Look at the tomb again. The attitude of worship is accompanied by an action. Verse 8. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. On the road, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then look at the gathering in verse 48. Look at verse 48. This is what Jesus says to his followers. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending a promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The women told the disciples. A little aside to my daughters and all the women gathered here. If you ever feel disparaged or not seen in church, never forget that the first people to, to give witness to the risen Savior are these women. The women told the disciples. The travelers returned to the city and shared with them their experience with Jesus. The gathered disciples were explicitly told by Jesus, you will be my witnesses. Again, Luke wants us to get it. When confronted with the facts of Resurrection Day, that Jesus is alive according to God's plan and for his purpose, we are called to two responses, to worship and to witness. And brothers and sisters, that is why you are here 
this morning. Because generation upon generation upon generation has worshipped and witnessed. And because of that witness, you have entered from death into life. You've accepted the gift that Jesus has to offer. You understand that Jesus is alive. We are celebrating the facts of Easter. You know, we are all here, and I don't know where all of you are at sitting in these pews today. For some of you, maybe you need to consider the facts of Resurrection Day for the first time, that Jesus is alive according to a plan and for a purpose. You see, God's word is clear. The wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you're new here or you're somebody brought you, I would ask, please come talk to me. Talk to somebody. This is the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus and is he alive? Maybe for some of us in here, we need to be confronted about our forgetfulness or our lack of faith in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. Maybe we've taken our eyes off of him. Maybe we're living in fear, living like Jesus is not alive. Maybe we're looking for Jesus and his power in the wrong places. Maybe you're here because you need a call to action, to worship and to witness. Maybe, maybe you have grown dull. Maybe you're coming Sunday mornings not expecting to meet the living God. Maybe you're going through the motions. Maybe you don't believe in the power of your faith to change lives and you're not witnessing. This day demands a response. This day demands a response of us. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he has done. What he, has done. he demands that we worship him. He demands that we witness to others. Don't let this day pass without addressing where Jesus is confronting you right now. And I end with this. my friends and my family here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. I, I think this sums up um, my heart for you and my heart for this church. In light of what Luke has said in chapter 24 of his gospel, May you never lose sight. May you never lose hold of the fact that Jesus is alive. 
And may you ever worship with burning hearts and disbelieving joy. And may your witness here in Evanston burn brightly with truth, with love, with wisdom, and with the power of his might. Jesus is alive. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are alive, and you are active, and you are working, and you are so good, you are so kind, you are so patient with us. Thank you for the reminder from the book of Luke. Father, may we be confronted where we need to be confronted this morning. May we be comforted where we need to be comforted. May your spirit meet us where we are at. May we as your people speak these truths and loves over one another, not just this day, but every day. Father, may this not just be a reality for us uh, this Sunday, but may the Easter fact that Jesus is alive be with us every day, every moment. We give you the praise. Father, send us out on mission. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen.